You're listening to Adamare MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. This comic book describes a sexual aberration so shocking that I couldn't mention even the scientific term on television. I think there ought to be a law against them. Tonight I'm going to show you why. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> that was Paul Coates. Paid goon. Hired goon by uh, Frederick Wortham who led the fucking seduction of the innocent campaign. This is him interviewing... by Paul Coates. One of the nation's distinguished news reporters brings you a factual report on America today, its people, and their lives. <laughs> yeah, right. If it weren't for fucking campaigns like Seduction of the Innocent, though, and all this shit, my company, Stale Inc., wouldn't have been born because underground comic books wouldn't have been around to retaliate against Nazi-censoring assholes who were trying to put comic books away for good it just made us act worse <laughs> too much horror business man well I got a special episode tonight the stale ink episode and stale ink was my comic book company from 2000 uh, no well from the end of 91 it started off a tattoo thing with me and my buddy Todd. <laughs> and it turned into comics. And we start. it was a two-man dude crew. Baked as fuck. And he was a nasty old material guy. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk to my friend Cole. Cole Miller. He's joining us today. <laughs> And he did an actual comic story for a Stale Ink anthology, Stale Ink Resents, called Horror Business. <laughs> We're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk about other comics. We're going to talk about Stale Ink. We ain't talking about anything else but comic books in this episode, so if you want to listen to something else... I have many, many episodes you can go through by now. I'm going to keep on recording. I don't care how crazy it sounds or what I'm talking about. As long as it's fucking interesting, concerning. The interest of comics, I haven't covered even an nth enough. So I want to thank Cole for joining me today. We're going to talk about Stale Inc., our legacy in Colorado. <laughs> We fucking were like a mini empire after a fucking minute, man. It was pretty cool. No one else was around doing that shit. You had groups like Squidworks and other outfits and shit, but they weren't as vital as me and Todd because we were like the bad boys of underground. That's what Stan Yan from Squidworks called us. The bad boys of underground comics. So welcome to the bad boys of underground comics episode. We're going to bring Cole out. <laughs> I'm going to smoke one more bowl, but you'll never even know I was gone. All right, guys. Welcome, welcome. Let's get this fucker rolling, huh? Hey, guys. What's up, man? Welcome back. Uh, this episode is brought to you by some uh, old-ass silver haze shake from fucking three years ago. It's burning a hole through my throat. It's not the luxurious kind, but I've been <laughs> used to the smoking. But it does remember remind me of some old Denver days, which reminds me I got a guest on the show today, Mr. Cole Miller. How, how you doing, man? You there? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing good, man. I uh, Despite, you know, everything, I mean, you know, obviously it's the, uh, the chaos in 
ensues <laughs> daily. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not going to stop anytime soon, right? We're just in this chaotic spiral of... It reminds me of the way, you know, a lot of comic books are set. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it is, like, orchestrated by a guy by guys who read a lot of comics. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Plus, most, uh... Most, um... Most guys who are, like, doing comics or whatever seem to have personality disorders already. You agree with that? Yeah, we all definitely have some of those. I was talking to Danny Hellman because, uh... I had an incident where I was supposed to do a single page in Cherry Pop-Tart. And my publisher is the one at that point who was putting out Cherry Pop-Tart. And I think they decided that they didn't want me to be in Cherry Pop-Tart. And they kind of just cut me out of the loop and stuff. So I left the firm because it was like all greasy after a minute. It really hurt my feelings. You know, because you worked this whole time in underground comics uh, to get to this, you know, high place and shit. Exactly. Uh, if you, if you know, if that's where you're heading, and in my case, it was, and I was like, right, right, man, and I was just like, dude, for my publisher to like not cut me in, and for the guys. The man and wife, Larry Wells and Sharon Wells, who have been doing Cherry Pop-Tart this whole time. And, you know, first they asked me to do a, a page. And, you know, I've been reading these guys since I was a kid. <laughs> I know these guys, you know. It really was a hurtful fucking thing, man. And I don't know what happened. Sharon called me up all spazzing out. You know, I was like, damn, dude. And texted me, well, I'm mentally ill. I was like, well, you know, I am too, man. We can talk about it. But just don't launch at me, you know? Because I don't like when people just launch at me. Yeah, nobody likes that. Mm -mm. And uh, eventually, you know, Bakersfield Con happened last year. And my publisher was associated with it. He didn't tell me. And I was in Bakersfield. <laughs> Like, right there. And, you know, one thing after another. I gotta be, like, you know, outside all this drama shit. It all started somewhere, right? And it all started, like, in these early heydays. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of give you, like, the, the, the nightmarish ending to uh, the story that I wanted Cole to come and help me remember. Because you brought up a lot of interesting topics. I'm just going to let you run down the list, so... I'm just going to shut the fuck up for a minute. Go ahead, dude. All right. Well, for me, the underground comics thing started with you and Todd and uh, the little little comic book company called Stale Link Comics. That, yep. You know, you guys, you guys started up, and I was just kind of just an angry little punk rock kid at the time, and <laughs> I loved comics, but, you know, I, I'd never really drawn comics like that. I, I was an artist, but... I wanted to draw comics, and, uh, you know, you guys hooked me up, and I ended up doing a little comic called The Horror Business for you guys. That's right. Which was my, my, my attempt at a werewolf comic. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think the thing I was most proud of, though, working with you guys was not only just the camaraderie that we all had, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, and the fun we were having, and we weren't going to let anybody tell us what we were going to do in our books. We did whatever we wanted. And, uh, yeah. You know, that and, that and then we did this book called Things to Do on the Death Star When You're Dead, which is probably the biggest book I did with you guys because I think I did like 30 pages of that book. Did I do the cover on that? Is that what happened? Yeah, you did that awesome wraparound cover for it, man. That was a wraparound. That's why. It was a two-piecer. Yeah, I was like, I could never remember the... Uh, the actual cover, but then when you say that, yeah, I'm like, oh, because it's all one cover. Right. Awesome. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that, dude. That's fucking great. Yeah, no, that, that was a great little book. You know, I mean, if, if, 
if the people listening out there, if you've seen things to do in Denver when you're dead, um, basically we took the story from that movie because we really liked that movie. Mm-hmm. And we changed the characters to Star Wars characters. And uh, we gave it away for free just so that they couldn't sue us. And you and Todd came up with that, right? Yeah, pretty much, man. We watched the movie, and then he was driving me home, and we were talking about the movie, and there's a line in the movie where Christopher Walken's character says, Buckwheat's for all, and he's like this gangster guy. And uh, I, I don't know, I did it in a Darth Vader voice. and it <laughs> <in there>. <laughs> <laughs> So you're like, <laughs> Buckwheat's for all. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Tom would come up with some funny ass shit, dude, too. No, it was good times back in the day with Staling. Mm hmm. Yeah. A lot of good guys on there. Like, like you, you know, I, I, I think you know these guys more than I do, but, you know, you had like Mark Brooks and Jason Thompson. You know, like, I, I let you guys, I'll let you talk about them for a second, because, like I said, you knew them a little bit better than I did, but. I respected both of them as artists, for sure. Yeah, they're jerks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Forget about those crappy bums. No, um, I think, you know, well, what happened, me and Todd were just getting especially, but you were there, I think, man, throughout most of the development. But, um, you know, we were getting all baked, and I thought it was something about, we need ads in here, you know, and I was doing these and ads already, and I was doing them in these books that I had done before, right before Staylink, and, uh, you know, that kind of spawned into this idea, man, we want to make anthologies, and I know Don, uh, Don was this friend of ours that would always hang out too, but he was a guy that we would always fuck with. Definitely our whipping boy. Uh huh. <laughs> like, I, if you don't mind, I'll tell a little story about Don real quick. Do it, man. So, yeah, go. One day we're all sitting around and uh, we're talking about how back in the day when we were kids, we'd, we'd have to break off a switch <laughs> for our, for our parents to you know give us some corporal punishment with. And uh, he he ended up saying, "Oh, I, that never happened to me." And and so we ended up breaking off a switch and whipping Don with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't malicious, you know, and we were all friends, but it he was just that guy, man. I mean, every every group has that guy that everybody picks on, you know. Well, you remember the Cats and Jammer kids? Yes. Uh, that's what Todd reminded me of, man, because he'd just, like, do crazy shit. Like, you'd be sitting on the couch, and he would just run up from behind you backwards and, like, sit on your head and fart on you. (laughs) And didn't, like, or do some crazy shit where he stuck his finger in your ear and gave you a wet willy. Oh, yeah, I had plenty of those. Man, he was that dude, you know? Definitely. And, uh, you know, when we first started, uh, we were a, a tattoo outfit. That's what it was in, uh, like, 90, 91. When I first met him, we were in, in Boulder. Which was just a couple of years before I met you guys, I think. Right, you came in, like, right at, like, 93. Yeah. Right early, dude. It was, like, early, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know... I remember we tried to do the tattoo thing. I, I ended up drawing some flash for him, and he tattooed some people. We made some money. Uh, and then he got in this accident, and he was working at this playhouse or whatever in, in Boulder or whatever, and he was coming back, and there was like a a cement post in the middle of the fucking bike pathway. <laughs> he ran right into it, and that's how he fucked his tooth out of his mouth, you know? Oh, I remember the pain he was in. Oh, it was awful. And how it looked. And the cold fucking nine yards. God. And uh, it was awful, man. I was like, ooh. Some of the most painful shit I've ever seen still up to date. But, uh, you know, I think after that, you know, we separated. I think I went and traveled for a while. I was in California. Like, I was in Huntington Beach. 
doing all kind of, you know, here and there, whatever. But I came back and I met back up with him and uh, I was like, you know, hey, I think we might have not, it might not have ended too well when this the tattoo thing happened. I'm not sure, I'm not even really, because that was so goddamn long ago, but after that, you know, he was like, we, he he agreed to meet meet me back up, and I talked him into doing underground comics, bro. And he was already into comics and reading comics and all this other shit. So, uh, yeah, it was he. T- you know, I talked him into it. I was like, well, I already have a few books out already. I think you know, there's already groups out there that have done this for years, and his whole thing was he wasn't confident about his drawing but that motherfucker blasted off after putting a lot of time into his shit oh absolutely his, his artwork improved immensely yeah he was a great cartoonist time, yeah. You know? yeah definitely. he ended up being a great cartoonist and you know I think he, he was just kind of bent on doing tattoos and shit but uh, I think in the end he found this kind of Joy, you know, obviously in drawing. Oh, definitely, man. And, uh... I hung out with the guy he was drawing. Yep, it was a chemistry. Yeah, it was a chemistry. We totally had that. Those were the days of art therapy actually working out. (laughs) Uh, you know... (laughs) Long long hours at Kinko's, stapling copies of our books together. And stealing the copies. And Todd was a pro-thief. You know, I remember the, uh, and he was a great toy thief. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I'm going to tell this story because it's the podcast and it's ancient history, but, and the, and the, and the store is not even there anymore, man. It was the Mile High Mega Thornton store where it was like an acre and a half long, you know? Right. And Todd he would get these ideas about how he wanted to steal shit. I mean, motherfucker got crafty. It's kind of how the government thinks about destroying us or whatever. Same difference. (laughs) And fucking, uh, he's like, I'm going to steal this. It's a Corgi. Remember Corgi? The metal uh, cars. And uh, he's like, it's a Corgi yellow. It's the Corgi yellow sub from the Beatles. And it's in the showcase. And the showcase back then, it was in a square. And they usually only had, like, two people, one working one side, one working the other. And Todd had this whole scam, you know, uh, where I got the guy's attention, and I was talking to him. And Todd went inside that case and used this, you know, clawful pincher move, you know, (laughs) and fucking (laughs) tried to grab the fucking... You know, yellow sub and pulled it out, dude. And right when he fucking had it up there, dude, it went. He lost it. And it, oh, I rem, I remember that classic clangity clang clang. And it was like something like right out of a Christmas story, like a cut scene or. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that fucking sub just going, ding 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 ding, and the guy didn't put it together, and he goes. And Todd was already in by those Doctor Who figures on the other side of the store by the time that thing was, you know, by the time that guy turned around, he was all, <laughs> you know, and the guy turns around and goes, wow, how did that happen? Crafty motherfucker, for sure. No, I think he didn't understand how far we were going to go. And we did. We ended up fucking doing a bunch of shit. I mean, because that's what happens when you do a bunch of shit. Oh, yeah, like like we did DCAF, you know, which was, for those of you that don't know, DCAF stood for the Denver Comic Art Festival. Uh-huh. And it was, it was something that we put on with uh, a place called Highlander Comics and Heart Studio, correct? Yes. Mickey, Mickey Hart. Hart. Yep. Art Studio and a, a bunch of other galleries there on Tennyson Street, just outside Denver. And uh, yeah, I mean, we we did that for three years in a row, and it was all centered around getting elementary school kids into comic books and drawing comic book art. And 
Yeah, well, it was middle school kids, to be fair. It was middle school, high school. There was different age groups. Right. We had the whole thing. All right, I'm just going to tell them the story, Cole. Check it out. So, uh, me and Cole knew this guy named Murph, and Murph was my boss who ran Highlander Comics back then. Back on Tennyson Street in North Denver, if you know where that is. And now it's all, like, hipster dildo bullshit. And it looks like shit. And they took everything cool out of the fucking neighborhood. You know? It's just a bunch of crap. Uh, Glad I haven't been back there. No, dude. You'd be like, oh, what'd they do? And the only thing that's left is the Oriental Theater down there on 44th. But that's it. Wow. You know, that's the only thing they kept nostalgic. They took the Yankee Trader out of there. That pisses me off. Because that was a, definitely a part of Stale Inc.'s fucking legacy and all the places that had toys. That was definitely one of the few places I was like, I'm not ripping off shit from there. <laughs> you know? Because they were cool-ass people. And, you know, you don't... You don't do dirt in your backyard, right? Right, man. You know? But Todd had no mercy, dude. Again. Uh, you know, at, at some point I was like, damn, dude, why did you steal from there <laughs> you know <laughs> it'd get like that but for the most part you know he was down with the, the drawing and uh we uh had done the decaf and basically it was before todd started working at highlander it was just me and murph and murph had he's a commercial lighter and he had to go do some job like out in nevada and while he was gone you know there's a middle school down the street and really, these kids are the ones that created decaf because first it was the V-Hill brothers, these little Mexican boys that came in, and they were punk rock skater kids, and they were cool as fuck, man. And they were only like 12, 13. I loved them, dude. They were great. And they would sit there, and we had a table and four uh, seats. And so they just sit there and start drawing. Eventually, other kids start coming in. Oh, look, there's the V-Hill boys. You know, they're skating. And then they hang out and they're talking. It became this joint for these middle school kids to really just, you know, mingle and fucking, you know, draw. So I would hang them up around. We were in the size. Because you remember the original shop? Do you remember that that shop? How it was all tiny? I remember the one that was on the corner. No, there, the one before that, because you, you only saw the big one, because uh, it, we were across the street right next to Yankee Trader, and it, this thing was like the size of a fucking shoebox, dude. And so fucking, you know, that was the original shop, uh, and I just worked in there, and I just drew all day, that was it. And fucking, these kids saw me drawing, and they started drawing, and I started talking to them, because I talked to them like they're regular people, like people should talk to them. And, uh, you know, you start getting to know these guys. And I started rotating their drawings around the store, you know. And uh, so, you know, 90 days goes by. And this is a brand new shop, pretty much. And uh, Murph came back, finally. And he goes, and I was just about to close up. And I was like, Murph, hey, what's up, dude? And he goes, hey, let's go smoke a J outside. Let's talk. And we go outside, we're rolling up, we twist twist one up, dude. And he goes, so what the fuck's been going on around here? And I was like, and I pulled out this fucking folder, bro. It was the size of the Denver Yellow Pages. And I slammed it on the fucking desk. And I was like, that's what the fuck's going on. And he goes, what the fuck is that? And I was like, that's 90 days of these kids drawing. And it was like 350 fucking drawings. I shit you not, dude. At four kids coming in, like, every two hours, shifting out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's a comic book factory, right? Yeah. Literally. And you saw this. Cool, man. Well, Murph was like, you know, hey, what are we going to do for these guys? And I was like, I don't know. They need some festival. And right away, Murph drops the decaf. So, really, Murph gets the props on coining decaf right off the bat. And, you know, but... uh. After we talked to Mickey, we had a few vodka drinks. I just wanted it to be some fucking festival out on the street. But, uh, 
and just some fun and games and blah 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 it got all serious and they got the public uh you know attention uh what was it westward kbpi <laughs> yeah we had we had we had nine news out there that i think it was the third year. it turned into some serious shit well it actually went for seven years didn't it i thought I I was long gone by the after the third one. I was already like somewhere else, but you know. Yeah, I, I remember that third one distinctly. I mean, you were uh, you were doing characters for all the kids, right? You had like a little booth set up where you were doing characters. Well, I thought that was the uh, the very first one, and then by the second one, yeah, and then by the second one because Todd wanted to have the underground comic book uh, uh, showcase because the kids were getting the showcase. And he wanted to have the underground showcase really bad. And I was trying to tell him, let's just do it next year. And uh, that's that's when he got censored. And, you know, he was he was actually sad about being censored. But after I I and I and then I ended up winning the fucking underground challenge or, you know, the underground uh, challenge. I mean, the underground art thing <laughs> and you know they gave me the blue ribbon and a, a thing of repediograph pens bro and i was like you know i don't use repediographs and i was like dude just take them you you're the one that won i mean they censored you it was that it was that underground it was that fucking badass really that to where they had to fucking put you know tissue paper over a heart on <laughs> yep. and that's what it was because it was the adult version of slip and slide and it was a girl all spread eagle beaver, and the guy's coming down the mat, you know, with the fuck, or he's at the end of the mat with a heart on, and she's coming sliding down the mat. That's what it is. Uh, I can, I can still visualize. It. <laughs> <laughs> Todd had a, Todd had a way. <laughs> Todd had a way about him. <laughs> oh man, he would draw some fucked up ass shit. Uh, I remember like yeah. the one with the finger douche, like asshole finger douche shit. The five finger, you know, let your fingers do the walking. <laughs> and he was so filthy, man. You know, but in real life, I don't think that he ever, like, would do anything like that. And I think that was just his outlet. No, he, he was, it was his outlet to get shit like that out there. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think he understood the aesthetics of Underground like that. And he had a really great knowledge of comic books. And, uh... Just an immaculate collection. Holy shit. There was that one trade that I did for it. Because there was this comic book uh, shop down on Wadsworth. Oh, man. I can't remember where. It was across from King Stupid's, bro. And Todd found this fucking... Uh, he found a... Uh, he found something. I know, the, I know the one you're talking about. Wasn't it next to like a... Was it next to like a Big Lots or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah... Uh, kind of, kind of in a little strip mall. Wadsworth, whatever you get the idea. But uh, there was a yeah. bookshop there. It's not there anymore, and it had this fucking little hidden comic book shit in the back. And you know that was what we all did was we scalpeled that whole city and looked for any possible shit that would have toys, comics, any fucking. If there was any way that they'd have it, we were scalping, and we found it. Todd ended up scoring that fucking Amazing Adventures number one, motherfucker. Remember that shit? And then I, I got some scores back in the day, man, for sure. You know what ended up happening was uh, I went into the same place. And, uh, and I thought he was keeping the place stash. He didn't tell me about it. And then I, I, I kind of put it together. That's where he went. And so I went there. And I found Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one signed by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Wasn't that the, the gobbledygook one? It was a gobble. Yep, gobbledygook number one or some shit. Wow. Uh, and it was signed. And Todd was like, oh, God, I'll fucking give you anything you want for it. And I was like, well, I want that Amazing Adventures. And he picked it up for 30 bucks or some shit, obscene, you know, price. Uh -huh. And uh, I thought, and then, uh, and I was like, that's what I want. And he goes, oh, fuck no. And that was the end of it. And I was like, okay, I'll just sit with my, you know, 
number one sign teeing, you know. <laughs> uh, my muties, baby. And um, he wanted that motherfucker. By the next day, he he had been jonesing like a crackhead all night, like Pookie from fucking New Jack, and was like, I'm ready, I'm, I gotta have that motherfucker, come on. And uh, so I gave it to him, and then he, I did the trade, and I, everything was cool in the gang, and then fucking I got the call fucking like, I don't know, three hours later. And he goes, it's not a first printing. And I was like, so? And he goes, that's what I wanted. And I was like, well, that's not what you got. <laughs> you know? It still was like a thousand dollar book, whatever. You fucking greedy right. fuck. Right. You know? No, <laughs> Even that's then. How we, that's how we that's how we traded back in the That day. is how we traded. But I remember that's how I'm talking about it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember shit, I remember a nice trade between me and you. I think uh what I traded you uh I think several He Man figures, including his tiger. Uh-huh. And, and and I ended up with a, a badass stand-up Crypt Keeper like movie theater cardboard stand-up from uh, Demon Knight. I tra- I gave you that? Yep. Yeah. The fucking yeah, Demon Knight, huh? Mm-hmm. I remember when Demon Knight... We were hanging out when Demon Knight came out, too, man. That's how long ago that was. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah we're old punks. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tales from the... <laughs> I don't know where I scored it. I thought I got it from like, I thought I even racked it from somewhere. Probably did. I was like, I'll yoink. I'll take that yoink. <laughs> That's not mine. Yoink. <laughs> That's how I was. You know, we were drawing the whole time though. Yeah, we were drawing the whole time. Uh, you know, finally, you know, at one point, you know, we were evolving in Stale Inc. And those were the the days that we were forming this idea was why we were collecting toys. And I think it was important to establish that part for the last half hour. But, uh, uh, you know, in the, into the actual phasing of creativity, I mean, Todd played ball. And I think, you know, whatever we set our mind on doing, and Todd was ambitious. As a motherfucker. And, uh, you know, was creating new shit. I didn't have to worry about it. There was a couple times we got in a fight. And he thought he was in my shadow or whatever. But I told him, you know, he was his own motherfucker. He never really believed it all the way. I thought that was kind of part of the problem. He was very ambitious, though. I mean, he was the one that was up my ass all the time. Like, what? Mm -hmm. Two pages a day? Yeah. Yeah, and I I was like that with him, too, you know? I was like, you really just got to fucking Jack Kirby that shit. And I was reading a lot of Jack Kirby and already had known a lot about Jack Kirby already by the time I was, like, 23, 24. And, uh, and I was like, yo, man, we have to have this philosophy. You just have to keep pumping it out, dude, That you know, and keep pumping it out. And How that you go wrong doing it the way that... Jack King Kirby did it. Well, I think part of the reason was because I was never a dick. And I was always positive. And it really fed it. Because, you know, Todd's not going to be... He's not going to... He's not the kind of person that's receptive to fucking someone giving him... Oh, you have to fucking do this. and da, da, Or, you know... But I would tell him straight up, you know... And we got deep into the aesthetics about just comic creators. You know, there was these times where... I mean, it was personal. There were tears... There was fucking, you know, damn, that's some of the greatest shit on earth uh, moments in comics. And there's this just long ass history that, you know, I was just thankful to have that mom- those moments myself. Oh, me too, man. And be able to be like, man, and be, you know, whether Todd knows it or not, he helped form fucking American history. Because every underground comic that fucking ever put its mark out. It did. And everything that comes out, and you may not think it, but, you know, if one person sees it, that's part of America. Absolutely. 
And, you know, Todd definitely got through to, <laughs> to definitely more than one person. Yeah. I remember that uh, me and Todd went up to that Blue Coyote comic book shop in Evergreen. Yep. And I had scored, I scored an R. Crumb Comics. Uh, it's a pretty common comic. It's the first appearance of Fritz the Cat. It's a Nash can. It's R. Crumb's Comics and Stories. But I scored this uh, linoleum cover one. And they only made 200 of them where they made like 2,000 or more of every other comic. Of other, every other print that came out besides the second print. Uh, everything else was just paper. That second one was a linoleum cover. And it had that perforated paper. And so, you know... I had found that guy. I thought his name was Dennis, who ran the uh, Blue Coyote, and he had this. This motherfucker has the largest underground comic collection in the world, you know, basically. And he wanted that copy of that I had of that R. Crumb thing. Uh, do you remember that, dude? And he was like, "I'll give you three hundred dollars for it," and that's pretty much what it was worth. I remember the store. I don't, I don't remember that guy. Man. You know when he wanted to do the trade was when me and Todd had that fucking convention over at that uh, uh, off Kipling or whatever where the Red Lobster is. I remember that convention. Yeah. And they had that cool little write-up that we made about the staling mother machine. It was cute. Whatever. And then uh, we were hanging out having dinner and shit. And... You know, I was talking to Todd, and I had that R. Crumb book on me. And I, I filled Todd in, just like I'm telling you right now, dude. And what happened was, when Todd didn't know I was getting ready to do that trade with him. But we went up to uh, Blue Coyote, and he wasn't there. He had some dumbass working for him. Okay? And so I look over on the wall, bro, and there's a fucking comic, and it's all... It's called Where There's Smoke, and it's American Lung Association comic. It's a propaganda comic. And back then, it was popular to just, for medical association or dental association, or if it was like any kind of like thing like that, they would use a paper cover straight up. They didn't use a, a glossy cover like most comics were using at that time, a high gloss, right. you know. Uh, and so it was just a paper cover. And so I look at Homeboy behind a desk, and I was like, how much is that one? Because it's definitely an Adam Air collectible. It's definitely something I want. It's a propaganda comic from the, the Lung Association. Yes, please. You know? <laughs> and I was and Todd's, like, with me. And uh, Todd knows I'm getting pissed. And the guy's like, I don't want to sell it to you. And that's why I was getting pissed. And I was like, well, why you got it up on the wall? And he goes, well, I don't know how much it's worth. And it doesn't have a cover. I was like, no, that's the cover. And he goes, I think I know a little bit more than you do about it. And I was like, is that right? And I was like, well, why don't you call your boss and ask him? And when he did it, dude, the way he did it, he called him up and he goes, yeah, there's some crazy guy here that fucking thinks that this comic is worth something and it's actually it's accidentally on the wall that doesn't have a cover on it. And I just like this guy is completely out to lunch. And uh so you know, he didn't sell he did sell me the comic cuz the guy and I got the guy on the phone I was like, "Yeah, it's just some trashed comic, dude." And that's what I said to him on the phone. And uh, and he goes, you can have it. You can have it for like five bucks. Just give him five bucks. Turns out the thing was worth eighty-five bucks. Oh yeah. And then the guy got fired. And you know, this is he wanted that R. Crumb book, and I showed up to the convention, and Todd and I told Todd about it, and I was like, and Todd was with me when I walked up, and I was like, oh yeah, man, my partner was here with me when he was calling me stupid, and I was like, and you know what's stupid? Is that you're not gonna get this trade on? And I fucking just showed him the book, and then I fucking walked off. And he goes, "That's fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what you 
got for fucking with Stale Link back in the day. That's what you got for fucking with Stale Link. And if you fucked with Todd, you got fucked over. And if you fucked with me, you got fucked over. And that was the end of it. And, uh, you know, we started to want to do these anthologies. And I think you're the one that came up. You were like, dude, I want to do a story for you guys. Yeah. And that's what spawned into wanting to get Mark Brooks and uh, Jason Thompson. I want you to tell... Because Jason Thompson, let's start with this guy first, okay? And I want you to tell, because you fucking blew my mind the other day. <laughs> and I was like, because, uh, okay, the story about Jason Thompson is he changed his name to Scorpio Rex Steel. And he worked at this comic book shop forever in Boulder, Colorado, called Time Warp. And he fell in love with this ginger chick that worked at Toys R Us right across the field from the comic book shop. And he tried to express how he felt to her and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it he failed miserably. And she was like, I'm sorry, I think we just should be friends. And gave him the old fucking, you know, friends thing. Broke him into pieces. So he turned around and he's a crazy ass fucking realistic uh, inking artist, he does his own, all of own shit, and it's fantastic work, like really refined, super greatly inked and well crafted. And you know, he put out this comic called Romantic Tales, and he drew the whole fucking embarrassing thing that he just went through, and it's very private, and it's very like fucking in depth, like. Uh, uh, exclusive, like, national inquiring minds want to fucking know style shit. And, you know, it came out of Caliber. It was a one-shot deal. And the book fucking broke bank and fucking changed a bunch of shit in comics. Yeah. I mean, dude, that, when I read that comic, it was one of the most real, like, and like you said, just personal books, man. Like, I mean, he, he poured his heart out onto that page. Uh-huh completely talking about everything with honesty and uh what i what i thought was funny about it and what what kind of blew your mind is right tell him this yeah (laughs) one day one day i'm sitting there watching chasing amy and i just started i had this epiphany i was like you know that's that's really a lot like that book you know and uh I'm, i'm not necessarily saying that kevin smith stole jason thompson's idea for chasing amy but he did. I, defi- I definitely <laughs> at some point, at some point, he got his hands on a copy of Romantic Tales, which came out well before that movie ever did. And uh, that's what inspired him to at least make that movie. Because it's the same fucking story, basically. It's basically the exact same story, except the, the female character in the movie is a lesbian instead of the ginger girl that worked at Toys R Us. So that's cool that we got involved, you know, in some kind of comic book conspiracy on that end. Absolutely. Pretty cool. I love that kind of shit. (laughs) Well, you know, Jason was a weird man to work with, you know, and the brief times that he was around with Stalink or we were doing shit, and we were trying to put little means together, and he showed up to one of them, but then he left all fast. And then that was about it. You were always there. Don wanted to be a part of it. You know, and Don couldn't really do shit, but <laughs> he was definitely in the, in the group somehow, you know. And then uh, I had uh, been in that death metal band. This was after Romantic Tales. I was in a death metal band called Colostomizer. I remember Colostomizer. And I got recorded by Mark Brooks, who was already in Warlock Pinchers. One of the original boner bands with the Melvins and Warlock or uh, Steel Pull Bathtub. And then uh, that was later. Foreskin 500 ended up being like this, you know, almost like a spin off band of Warlock, I thought. But uh, that's how I kind of always thought about it. It was like, because it was still Mark Brooks's shit. And he has like this patented sound that the Beastie Boys have ripped off, Melvins ripped off. You know, he's got a lot of history. The guy ended up going to Hollywood after Matt and Trey South Park fucking started. And he was already hanging out with those dudes. 
And he has a whole dynasty of, of shit that I followed him through long after he was in those Thale Link books. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but some of the shit that the guy did was, uh, he wrote the, uh, uh, the cart, the Transformers cartoon that led into the live action Transformers. That was huge. He did the uh, Black Panther cartoon for BET. And if you haven't seen that, that's fucking amazing. And then um, he also did uh, this comic called Mongo Boy way before any of that shit. He did that while he was in Boulder. And by the time I asked him, I was like, will you please consider, you know, being a part of this anthology and being a part of Link?" And uh, he was like, yeah, totally, dude. And he didn't have any problem kicking down you know, two Mongo Boy stories for the first issue of this super-sized Stale Ink Resents number one, which was basically on a yellow... Co- I remember it was on a yellow cover, and it had a gold... I thought it had a gold stamp on it, maybe even, or we put some gold... Yeah, we had like a... We had a gold, like, sticker seal of approval or uh-huh. on every book or something like that. So, you know, Mark Brooks and Jason Thompson are in the same book with me, Todd Cole. I know we had some other guys. I had uh, this um, dude who did a story called, Ed- uh, he did the remake of Oedipus Rex with, like, stick figure shit. <laughs> right. And there was a bunch of these just crazier contributions. Yeah, I think that first book was like 64 pages or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was huge, dude. I was good at fucking collecting people, you know? I, I still kind of do that for the podcast, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, hey, I like collecting a unique brand of people. I want to get their voice on here. We all got the story, you know? I don't ever want to get dead kill shit, you know, or right. or just things that... We already hear this every day. It's like, do we need another rendition of it? You know? It's like, I don't want to do that shit. Uh, I want to keep it, you know, like where I'm talking about shit like Staling. You know? And the podcast really is... If I hadn't done Staling, you know, it definitely uh, contributed to public speaking. <laughs> there was other things that really came along with it, you know? Because it kept getting big. We had to do, like, parties, and bands kept getting involved, and we had to do, like, fucking this and that, and, yeah, we were like, that, damn, that, dude. That party, that party you guys threw at, uh, God, it was, it was the, jun- it was. The junkyard one? Junkyard. Yeah. The With junkyard. Los Lucha Jores, man. Oh, God, the best band that I've ever seen live that was, like, just this underground punk rock band that not too many people had heard of outside of the Denver community. But, man, dude, what a stage show, dude. Yeah, they were fucking fantastic. Fan-fucking-tastic, dude. Just awesome shit. I remember remember watching the, the lead singer as he's singing, and he's got no shirt on, and he's got a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Yep. He's smacking himself over and over and over again in the chest as he's playing and blood's just dripping down his chest. I was like, oh. Yep, he's like Jim Barnes or whatever that fucking wrestler guy is that, you know, used to fucking... I can't remember what yeah. his fucking name was, but you could see these... The guy that owned that junkyard, you could see his eyes get big as, like, silver dollars when he pulled out the sawhorses and the table. Oh, and, yeah. And put the tacks on there with the lighter fluid and then lit it on fire. And then and body the slammed the himself. Yeah. Yeah, and the guy that owned the junkyard was looking at it like, oh my God, he could just see his business like going up in flames. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm worth, you can expect Stay Link to throw a good show. And that was really the first big motherfucker we did. Oh, yeah, I had like nine bands. Oh, man, and they all played for free. And we got the money up and we put out the second issue of Stay Link. I had the great engine idea. And it did. It got it got cock blocked in the end. And you know, that's you know, like a lot of great things. I mean, you know, it did. Uh, you know, in the end, uh, we had done. We were on this. We had already put out the second book. And there was a weird story about that, by the way, that I don't think I ever told you because Todd got all upset when we put out the second book, and uh, I I had new material, but. 
the comic was medicinal. It, it was supposed to be an exercise of evil that was assigned by my Neptunian shaman, you know, who's in charge of, like, extracting darker shit from my soul. And um, I had done this thing called Little Bloody Fleecy Hood. Do you remember that? I do. And uh, Todd wanted that comic, and I told him no. Do you remember that? And I remember him pouting, and just he he wanted that comic so bad. I was like, you know, it's an incantation. If people actually read this thing, you know, out loud or whatever, it could fuck their ass forever. It's that satanic, you know. And I'm not satanic, but I, it was an exercise to get to remove evil that had just been sitting dormant there from issues, obviously, that we collect along the way in life. And, you know, sometimes they're more extreme than others. And for me, that was how I dealt with it. By doing this story about Little Bloody uh, uh, Fleecy Hood, who was really Little Red Riding Hood, and had this kind of manga overtone to it. And, and I, I did it super detailed. It was super gory. It was fucked up. You know, it was just a very fucked up comic, dude. Like, very perverse. Um, and I told him no. He wanted to use it, so we we went ahead and used it. You know, we had the party. The party was a fallout. I'm not going to bore, bore you guys with how that happened. I'm just going to tell you that drugs ruined our fucking company, and drugs usually ruin shit. And my partner was on drugs. The end. You know? Otherwise, we had fun. We had a blast. It was a blast, dude. Oh, God. You know, I'm not going to sit here and think about bad shit. I mean, we put out 50 fucking books. You know, Mark Brooks ended up fucking being the... Mark Brooks ended up being the uh, storyboarder for Metalocalypse. That was one of the big deals he did. And that was, you know, Stale Inc. had its hand in that somehow. And, you know... uh, I thought it was just great the way that we were able to turn Denver into a monopoly. It, we became an empire, a two-man team, essentially, uh, just kind of dominating this market uh, that we were creating by putting out our books everywhere, and people just wanted to see more. And the more we made, the more options we had. And the more options we had, the more people wanted, were, into it, were into it, and they were into fucking getting more. Uh, you know, we were we really were just reaching for all of it at that point. Uh huh. Like, yeah. yeah, we did too. <clears throat> I mean, you know, the sky was the limit, man. And mm-hmm. for the most part, there were no drugs involved with the whole thing, and that was one of the reasons it worked. The the worst thing going on was smoking fucking Mexican brickweed. Yeah. You know, fucking, which dominated Denver for fucking. A grip of fucking years, man. Like a tyranny. Way before these clubs, motherfuckers just come out to the... Oh, we just fucking move out here and jack up the rent and da-da-da-da. You know, but they don't even know all the toil we had to do before shit was legal. Oh, yeah. And just how hard that... We only had one flavor, dude. Okay. It was dark, dark green, <laughs> and sometimes if it had a little light green, we were happy, you know, like oh shit, yeah. look at those crystals. It has crystals. I was happy when I pulled, happy when I pulled one out, and there wasn't. <laughs> you know, man. I mean, that was the shit. Those were the days. I mean, fuck, man. We fucking. Uh, nailed it though for whatever we were going for and just this idea that we could fucking create some shit out of thin air and we fucking did and that's magic fuck it dude yep. it was total, magic. totally magic and the collecting the toys and the, and the ripping off of the toys and the fucking comics and these you know scouring Denver for the these thrift stores and any toys we could find and plastic bags and yeah. And getting Market. getting deep into anything comic related, and having these juicy ass fucking 
you know, it'd be you, me, and Don, and Cole, or, or, or uh, Todd and Marcy, I mean, and uh, for the most part, I, you know, and other people would join in, but we were like the real main team. And I remember we were just like fucking just get into these deep ass comic book talks. And they weren't bad. They were great. (laughs) They were great. We were comic comic book men before there was a TV show. Indeed, motherfuckers. I mean, we made comic book men look all fucking like rank amateur shit, pretty much. I mean, it was like that, dude. It was like that. I mean, we went to the fucking balls end deep, bro. And we had, you know, after working at Highlander, <laughs> it really upped the ante because first we developed that Denver Comic Art Festival, and that built our fucking clientele. And so that meant we needed to get more books, and the more books we got, the more media we got, the more media we got, the more I was reading... And then we just had so much shit on a monthly basis. And that new Wednesday, every Wednesday, I had to go through every fucking book, make the count, make sure every the counts were there, and da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And make sure fucking shit wasn't fucked up, and da-da-da-da. And, you know, I was there. I was Murph's bitch. You know, the kids would come in, they wanted to play Pokemon. That was the huge thing back then. Yeah, <laughs> You know, it... <laughs> That's what was paying the bills at that store with Pokemon, not comic books. Yep, but cards, really, because Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z, and Todd was a Magic fucking crackhead. And I, I never really got into any cards or nothing, dude. He used to run that tournament there. Yep. I remember I, uh, yep. I got into it only because he's like, I, I, I need somebody to play against so I can run these tournaments. He's like, learn how to play. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, all right, fine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up doing it, and I actually ended up winning one of those tournaments at Highlander. And I, yeah. I remember I, I got this cool little hard cover box, you know, for my for my deck, and uh, that you can only win if you win a tournament. Mm-hmm. But uh, the kid that I beat was so pissed off that he threw his cards in the trash. Oh! <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yep, I've seen this shit too, man, like, firsthand. I think the cool thing that we gave the kids was, because at first it was me for a while, and then Todd was like, uh, I asked Murph, because Murph was like, we need someone else, and I was like, hey, Todd. <laughs> And that was, you know, of course, I called his ass, and it became like a dream because not only were we running the, the, the imprint, but we also had run of the whole shop. Yeah, you were working in a comic book. Store. And we could order whatever the fuck we man. We had scores, and I'll get to the scores in a second. But I want to talk about the kids first and the leagues because that was the coolest thing. I think that we one of the coolest parts I loved about working there with Todd was. We both had, me and Todd cuss like motherfuckers. And he's, he cusses just like me, dude. Uh, and he's the only person I ever met that was, like, that cussable. But that fucking, uh, you know, these kids like to cuss. And they were little kids, too, even. And I, I was like, all right, here's the fucking deal. You guys can sit there and play your little Pokemon. And that's pretty much what they did. They they might as well have, have had fucking... Cigars hanging out of their mouths with fucking bottles of bourbon next to them, man. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, I got your Charizard. You know. It was crack for kids back in the day. Oh, and they played it, and they had foul fucking mouths while they were fucking playing it, man. And I said, here's the deal. You guys can cuss as much as you fucking want. I don't give a flying effing fuck. But if you fucking cuss when people come in, it's over with, and you're at, and not only that, you don't get to play no more, and you don't get to, uh, you have to leave, and you can never come back, and you can never come back and buy a pack of Pokemons. <laughs> and they were like, all right, and they pretty much obeyed it. I never really heard, I heard one kid would cuss, and then, you know, they put their fucking mouth, uh, the hands over their mouth, and got they got the big eyes like, oops. And you know they they felt they repented. 
and Todd would always just like, I don't give a shit if they cuss in front of people. I was like, well, that's why I'm the manager, Dick. And it was really like this Kevin Smith kind of fuck. I was always wondering, like, why didn't Kevin Smith ever make the fucking Clerks movie about working in the comic book shop and the fucked up shit happens? I'll never fucking know. I'll never know why. He's got the comic book shop. He goes all, he dances around the Crunchberry bush. It's like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, yeah, why, why not make that? Why not make Clerks... Why has it got to be a convenience store, bro? Why can't Jay and Silent Bob, they hang outside the comic book shop? Why has it got to be around beer and Twinkies? Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's what Kevin Smith is all like, well, that's how I really would. Well, you know, fuck off. <laughs> you, you Stanley sympathizing motherfucker. Well, dude, we fucking hit this. Uh, we're at about 56 and a half minutes. And if you can believe this... Uh, hour has just gone on by it's been a fucking pleasure to to reminisce about some old stale ink and you know 50 books uh i ended up doing about 35 36 solo books um todd did six solo books we did you know six seven fucking anthologies oh yeah we did the not so convenient uh the not so convenient convention issue, and that was pretty funny, and a bunch of other shit. Oh yeah, years and years of comics, drawing, collecting toys. Like like you said, man, just reminiscing about those days, man. I mean, we weren't just drawing underground comics; we were we were having fun, man. We were putting on shows. We were just going around doing punk rock shit. It was organic as fuck. It grew on its own. Oh, we fed off one another, too. Yeah, like, you know. Creativity-wise. There wasn't this, you know, business mind necessarily behind it. Not really until the end. But that, yeah. you know, uh, that little bloody fleecy hood story. You remember Lonnie Allen from Squidworks? He, he ended up editing the book. And when he did it, he forgot a line. And so basically, the end of that little bloody fleecy hood story, I'm going to leave you guys on this note. Is I went up to the mountains and my friend had a little recording uh, thing on his computer. And so I told him, hey, let's read the shit out of the stale ink book and play it backwards and blah, blah, blah. And that night I had this weird dream about Laura Ingalls or some chick that looked like Laura Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. And she's all, you forgot a line. You forgot a line. You forgot a line. And then, sure enough, man, I went and I looked at the fucking comic and the line but deliver us from evil had been not put into the book and Lonnie Allen had fucked up the editing on that. I didn't know if you knew that or not. I did not know that. But I had the weird dream that told me that the line was missing and then I went and I looked for it and you want to talk about some goose skin goosebumps on that one? I know it's kind of left field, but that was weird. Anyway, man, you know, we did it. We did a fucking solid decade, 92 solid till fucking 2002 solid. Yeah. And it was fun as fuck. I wish you guys a good night. Cole, thanks for joining me, man. Good night, brother. I enjoyed it. Love you, bro. I'm going to get you back on. We're going to do some more comic shit, something. All right, man. That sounds good. All right. Smoke a bowl for me. <laughs> Sam, that's the way we did it. That's the way we do it. All right, peace, y'all. All right, later, brother. Later, man. That's fucking cool as fuck, Cole. I totally forgot about that Crypt Keeper trade, man. Damn, I really traded those for those fucking He-Mans? Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway. Live and learn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Live and learn! <laughs> Stale Ink was this fucking journey into a sweet underworld of madness. You know. At one point I was like, we gotta have like a, a little logo, you know? So I created this one-eyed skull. And it has these two, four tubes coming out. 
of the head going behind it going into the ether <laughs> and I was like well we'll call it the Stalink mother machine and Todd loved it <laughs> I think it would have caught on if it had the right kind of fucking push you know just like a lot of shit we definitely had our own fucking style <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining me today. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, if you're doing your own comics, enjoy it, dude. You know? It's like, fuck it, man. R. Crumb told me himself, you may never make a dime in this business. I've been fucked over by big names and all this other shit. They know who they are. Fuck you guys. Well, we're coming near the end of the season. And I'm glad we could get Cole on here. I've been wanting to do this Stay a Link episode. I think Andy Glass did some shit too, man. And he did that Twin Peaks episode. I'll have him back. <laughs> well, until then, guys. I want you to chill the fuck out and read some fucking comics and collect a fucking toy and listen to more Adamair MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. New Clorox. Oh, you fucking dick. Está escuchando a la terapia de dibujos animados subterránea de Adamer MDGL. You're listening to Adamer MDGED Underground Cartoon Therapy.